Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. Treating you like a cog in a machine, which eventually you're going to start to feel you're going to rebel and have authority projections. Even if you want to be a cog in a machine, I won't let you. That's what produces engagement. But nobody wants to do that because it's impossible to know what's going to happen next. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. Throughout this series, I've come back to the question, who do you want to become and how are you using your job to become it? If you don't have the answer to this question, then you are, by definition, I offer, not engaged at work. And if you don't have an answer to this question, I'd guess that the people you manage probably don't have an answer either. Because engaged managers produce engagement. And if, after this episode, you don't choose to take action and figure out the answer to that question, which won't be easy if you're honest with yourself, then you will just perpetuate the broken system of disengagement in your life and or work. Anything else you try to do will just make things a little less bad. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open up the podcast app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. Tanya, what was the second part of your question? Because the first part was awesome. The other part of it was because I have people that work for me that don't really have to, right? They have a husband at home that owns a restaurant. They are in college. Their parents, you know, are home, whatever. Mm -hmm. When you are interviewing or phone screening somebody, how is it that you can try to establish something like that without getting too personal in an interview? And it's not that I want to avoid hiring them completely, but try to find some self-interest during the interview process rather than waiting three or six months. Great question. Tanya had a phrase in there that was the answer to the question. Did anybody hear it? No, oh, dang it. <laughs> dang it. It's, it's, it's awesome. If you listen to people really carefully, especially in questions, most of the time, the answers to their questions are in the question. So cool. It's my, one of my favorite things. Anybody hear it? It was, it was, it was a, it was a, I forget what that called, a conditional clause. It was just sort of a parenthetical phrase. How do you uh, ask them on the phone about whatever without getting too personal? What do you what do you what do you hear in the without getting too personal? What's too personal? The only the only stuff you can't get personal about in an interview or something leading up to an interview in a hiring process is stuff that's against the law. To me, an engaged manager wants to know everything about them except for what they're lawfully not allowed to find out. 
right? You can't know their religion, whether they plan on having a kid anytime soon, and a bunch of other stuff, right? But those things are relatively easy to avoid. So it's precisely that attitude. This is why I talk so much going back to uh, what Margarita said about the, uh, the home version of her and the work version of her and the myth that she's carrying that those are actually two different people. That's like a line on the map. You know, if you go to like the border of Arkansas and New Mexico, there's no like six foot thick line there. <laughs> That's made up, right? Remember as a kid when you learned that? You think there's a big line the state's borders. Excuse me, Joseph, between Arkansas and what state? I thought I said Arizona and New Mexico, but maybe I said Arkansas. That's what I meant. Sorry. <laughs> between New York and California, there's not some thick line. No. But I remember as a kid being like, you mean there's not like a wall? There's not some black thick line? No, that's just on the map. Oh, okay. I also remember really vividly that for a while, I thought North was just straight ahead. <laughs> we'll tell you a lot about my sense of direction as an adult. It's still quite impaired. You mean North's not just that way? <laughs> I remember my parents laughing. They're like, no. <laughs> Didn't make any sense to me. Anyway, what was I talking about? So, uh, yes. So, the... Um, if your orientation is, well, I can't get too personal with employees, then that, that, that's an orientation that sets you on a path of disengaging the employee, essentially. Instead, have the orientation be, I want to be as personal with this person as they'll let me. And I'm going to build a relationship slowly so that I can earn their trust and go those places. Rather than, well, I respect them as a professional. Let's keep personal and professional separate, which is well-intended. But check out what happens. This is one of my favorite little bits of business metaphysics. Out of respect, right? the manager says, well, their personal life is their personal life. I'm going to leave it alone. The employee, out of respect, says, my personal life is not serving the company, has nothing to do with the results I'm supposed to produce as an employee. So I'm going to keep that out of it, right? What's actually the underground effect? The employee doesn't bring all of themselves to work because they're leaving their, quote, ego at the door. And they don't have an answer to the question, how is this serving me? Oh, no. Well, it's about sacrificing for the company. Yeah, 1950 called. They want their attitude back. That's the slave labor mentality. See the whole tragic history of work that I've talked about. That's a, that's a, that goes back 10,000 years, you guys. That's in the collective unconscious. Well, if they're paying me to work, I'm working for them. And me getting something out of it besides money, it's irrelevant. That's, that comes from slavery, which is the biggest feature of the human economy for 10,000 years and still goes on today in rarefied forms. There's probably less slaves today than there have ever been, but there are still slaves, right? And there used to be slave labor was all the rage. You know, why do it yourself when you could enslave a different, slightly different colored bunch of people and say, well, they're different colored. They should be slaves, see? Their noses are kind of different. 
Let's have them do all the stuff we don't want to do. That's how it was for thousands of years. So this attitude is still in our work culture. After all, slavery in this country is, you know, ended just a couple hundred years ago, not that long ago. So then the manager, their codependent side of that is, well, I'm going to, um, you know, respect this person's life and I won't get over involved in their life. And since they're not bringing all of them by answering the question, what am I getting out of it? I'll figure out ways to kind of trick them into getting engaged, like giving them more money when they do better. Right? That's what gain sharing does. It's a engagement compensation for not actually connecting with the human being and saying, why are you doing this? You don't have to work. Your husband owns a restaurant. I guess you could come in here, put in your eight to five and keep things as usual, but who do you want to become? And how can I help you get there? Well, nobody's ever asked me that question. Okay, cool. Well, why don't you think about it? You have a week, not a year. Because I care so much about you and so much about this company and so much about humanity and so much about myself that I don't want you here working for me or us or the company. That's not enough for me. I want you here working for you. I want you to grow as a person. I don't want you just working for the man. That's not okay. And it shouldn't be okay with you. But if you want a place where you can just show up and kind of check out and do the minimum or medium to get by, I'm sure you can work in one of our competitors' places where they don't care about excellence like we do. But here, if you don't have an answer to the question, who do you want to become and how are you using your job to become it? You don't get to have the job because anything less than that is not a full commitment. And if I allow you to work here without having an answer to that question, I'm enabling you to stay stuck where you are and treating you like a cog in a machine, which eventually you're going to start to feel and you're going to rebel and have authority projections. So even if you want to be a cog in a machine, I won't let you. That's what produces engagement. But nobody wants to do that because it's impossible to know what's going to happen next. And people get scared. So it's way easier to say, hey, if you can limit your cell phone minutes to under 500 a month, we'll save $15 a month. And you can have seven of those dollars. Is that exciting to you? Well, that's like, you know, that's like two more beers a month I could buy. Terrific. Thanks. (laughs) Wicked inspiring, right? And hey, if you want to run a company of in that way, that's fine. You know, it's like before I got into coaching, I was a recruiter for about a year and a half. And one of the things I specialized in doing was, uh, and I'm not really proud of it. I didn't, I didn't like it at all. And that was one of the reasons I burned out on it. It was called poaching. Poaching in the recruiting business is when you try to move someone who already has a job to a different job because, you know, just like in dating, all the good ones are taken, right? So they say. So. (laughs) My ex-girlfriend used to say, all the good ones are taken. 
So um, in the recruiting industry in high tech, where I worked, one of the things everybody knew was that you could never get an employee to leave Apple. At least this was the case in, when was that? Late 90s, early 2000s. You could never get an employee to leave Apple because they were so completely engaged. And you'd call someone up at Apple, you know, you'd find a directory somewhere, somebody gave you a number of software engineer. And, and you say, hey, I've, uh, you know, I'd like to tell you about an opportunity for you know, a job. And, and they would cut you off like, I don't want to hear it. I go, what, what do you mean? You don't even want to hear it? All the other companies I would try to poach out of, they would listen. Most of the time, 90% of the time, they would listen to what the job was before they said no. You know, and 10% of them might say, tell me more. But at Apple, they didn't even want to hear. 95% of the time, didn't even want to hear it. I'd say, what if, what if I was going to tell you that it was uh, you know, uh, your absolute dream job and it paid a half a million dollars a year to you know, chew gum and walk in circle? I don't know, whatever. You know? They're like, I don't care. I don't want to hear it. I don't care how good it is. I love my job now. Do you think that came from stock options? Do you think that came from Apple profit sharing? That was their culture. That's how they interacted with each other, their creativity, the connectedness, the teamwork. And absolutely, it was their self-interest. That's what creates that kind of engagement. And of course, Apple is the richest company in the world now. Certainly one of them. No accident. I don't think they're doing quite as well as they were then, right now. But I mean, imagine if if imagine someone called up one of your employees and wanted to offer them a job. Imagine them saying, "I'm so happy here. I don't even want to hear it." What would have to be the case? They would have to be, I would assert, feel so served. At the level of being a human being, supported, mentored, developed, loved even, that they couldn't even imagine leaving. That's a bond they've got with their mentor or their teammates. That is, it's so unbreakable they didn't even want to hear about it. That's the highest form of engagement. And it doesn't come. From profit sharing. Can profit sharing help? For sure. I'm a big fan of it. But the, the problem is, is, is when it's used in place of rather than in addition to this kind of personal stuff. So that's the argument. And unfortunately, I'm a really good arguer, which is it's problematic for me because of what I've learned the hard way is just because you can make a really compelling case for something doesn't mean it's true. But this I really think is true. <laughs> but if any of you have an argument against it, I'm certainly open to hearing it. But this is what I see. And then the other thing is when times are hard in a business, one sec, Bill, when times are hard in a business and you can't give them that money, well, then what? Because mentoring is something you can always give people whether times are tough or not. Go ahead, Bill. Oh, you were just saying, I really think that it is true. Yeah, I don't absolutely know. You know yeah, you, but you, that's the best thing that you've come across. 
probably. That's like, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, I've seen so many different engagement models. And this is the one that I've seen it work. I've seen it work. And part of where I learned it was at Emeth. You know, when I started as a coach there 16 years ago, you, it, it's an apprentice model. It's really not new. That's the thing. It's an apprentice model. This goes all the way back to the Renaissance and certainly before then, the Middle Ages. And I think it was the case in Greek, in, in ancient Greece as well. The apprentice model is I will train you to become this expert, sword maker, cobbler, you know, tailor, whatever it is. Show me how bad you want it. You know, like that scene in Fight Club and in Doctor Strange, you know, where they're sitting outside. That goes back all the way to the Shaolin Monastery. That the original story, I talked about that a month ago or something. It goes back to the days of Shaolin. Show me how hungry you are and I will help you become the person you want to become. And you're teaching this with truth and love. That's the way you're doing it. It's very yeah, cool. Yeah, because the apprentice model is like... It, Pre-industrial revolution, job training wasn't about, here, let me show you how to perform this task. Pre-industrial revolution, you didn't just make the hilt of a sword, you made the whole damn sword, right? And you were the sword master. And you got to go, look, behold, I've made this. And there's a certain amount of pride that can be connected to that. But post-industrial revolution, it's way harder to do that because at the level of content, you are a cog in a machine, right? Now, there's beautiful things about that because you can produce amazing stuff when you have a bunch of people all working together, right? Like the pyramids. It's not like you know they weren't made by one person. They were made by thousands of people over 20 years. Not by slaves, by the way, except for, I think, one of them. But the great ones were not made by slaves. They were made to serve the Pharaoh, who was God, and you know, yada, yada, yada. But so now, post-industrial revolution, since we're all cogs in a machine now, well, mo- most of us are, you have to make it more meaningful personally because the meaning is not going to be connected to the finished product because no one in your dry cleaning stores is cleaning the whole, is doing the whole garment, right? They're all just doing a piece. So they can't get meaning. They can't hold the shirt up and be like, I did this. I marked it in. I laundered it. I pressed it. I bagged it. I took it from the customer and I gave it back to them. No one's doing that. Right? So they don't get to experience the meaningfulness of that. So they've got to get meaning somewhere else. Where will that be? What I'm talking about. It's not that complicated. One question. Who do you want to become? How are you using your job to get there? You just have to have to have the guts to realize that you have no idea what's going to happen next after you ask that question. And that can be challenging. But the question itself is not. Whew. You guys really get me going Friday morning at 7 a.m. Surprise. All right, so I'm going to go swim in the ocean now. Any last questions? I, uh, are we unmuted? Yes. Yeah. No, I just want to make a statement in regards to what Tanya said. And I guess I could share it after, but uh, she she said, "How during an interview, how do you find?" Uh, I, I guess her the the root of her question was, "How do you find the self interest of an employee in the interview?" Uh, and you, yeah, you just come out straight straight out and ask them. But uh, I I found a good question is, "Tell me something that you're passionate about." Sure, and then that opens up a lot. You can branch way off from there, yeah. and that'll that's 
that's basically asking your self-interest right there. Sure, that's a great uh, question. And if they can't come up with something, then it's a no good right there. I mean, they yeah. could have everything else passed with, you know, that we needed. But if they can't answer that question fairly quickly, quickly, I, I pass on them. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I would add a couple others to that list. Um, what have you thought was impossible in your life that you made possible? I want them to be able to answer that. What are your dreams? What are your goals? What don't you like about yourself? And how are you trying to change it? All of these are very personal questions. The the content of the questions is actually less important than the passionate desire in you to know what's going on inside them and what their level of engagement is. If you come from that place, I really want to know that. Then you'll come up with the questions because you know you may start with, "What are you passionate about?" and it doesn't really take you anywhere. But if you still have that hunger to know, then you'll come up with another question. But if you don't have that hunger inside yourself as a being in general, it's going to hinder your ability to come up with those questions. The way I come up with most of the stuff that I come up with is because it's just me. I'm just always hungry for more. So like in my spare time, while I'm taking a shower, while I'm brushing my teeth, I'm thinking about how do I get this point across to my clients and my members in a better way? Because how I did it yesterday isn't good enough. So much so that yesterday I spent half the day in bed so that I would stop working and doing stuff because it's become kind of addiction for me. But I'm a recovering overachiever. That's just sort of how it happens. I have to, I err on the other side. Most people don't have that problem. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that clear and open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.